Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Guest. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me, Mark Lazarus. Mark, what's going on, man? Not much, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm excited. I got you in the middle of this uh, Western camp that the Blackhawks have you on. One of the dumbest trips I've ever seen. It's Winnipeg, and then Edmonton, Vancouver, yep. Calgary, then Winnipeg again. Yeah. I've never seen that before. Oh, you know, they want to get you your frequent flyer miles. I'm telling you, Jonathan Taves had the right idea. Just put them all together. Play all the Winnipeg, Winnipeg games at once. You only go to Winnipeg once a year. You go to Calgary once a year, you just play them all at once. Well, I don't know if the Blackhawks have had this this season, but I have noticed, I think the league made a bit of a concerted effort to have teams play like back-to-backs, uh, like uh, home-and-homes with certain teams. I think it's usually like if it's been like a, a non-divisional opponent, I've seen a lot of like randomly just two teams getting it out of the way. And Blackhawks always have one with Denver, or with Colorado yeah. every year, where, and, and Jonathan Taves bitches about that too, because it's, you know, go to Denver, and that's a longer flight than people think. They're a division opponent, but that's like a two-and-a-half-hour flight. Right. And then you got to come back the next day and play, and the, the players hate home. I, I know as a, like growing up as a hockey fan, I loved home and homes because I was an Islanders fan, and watching them go Rangers and back and forth, I love that. The players hate them. Well, that must be a especially tricky one if you're second of the back-to-back is is in uh, Colorado as well. Right, exactly, air. with like, the area, yeah. Pretty- to do anyway so we're recording this on um what is it i, I think it's wednesday i lose yeah. track on these road trips at this point of the season in the lead up to the deadline yeah it's i think i'm in vancouver this. yeah we are in vancouver i know that for sure <laughs> it's wednesday afternoon we're recording this i'm making sure to note it because as i was telling you before we started recording my most recent podcast with chris mason we were high on the predators <laughs> during their pre-game, pre-game skate that that morning and then that night they just get i think six two lost everyone the, keeps waiting for the predators to put it together it's been 60 games i'm not sure they're going to put it together yeah yeah well i think uh that's a good lead into this Blackhawks season. <laughs> Welcome to Chicago. Yeah. I've seen a lot of that this year where like, and, and listen, they certainly started playing better. What, what was it? It was like the kind of that like early, mid-December to like. Just like last year. It was like December recently, 18th. Yeah. It was like an exact date where they flipped the switch and all of a sudden looked like they could make, maybe sneak into it. And they're kind of running into the same problem they had last February, which is they're running out of gas now after pushing, pushing, yeah. pushing. Well, the strange thing for me is, and you know, you can comment on this much more closely following the team, but they're still just as bad defensively just mm-hmm. from, from looking at the numbers and from kind of watching them in, in preparation for this podcast. It's they've offensively gotten better, especially in terms of like the, the rate at which they're generating chances. And it feels like, I mean, Jonathan Taves sort of coming alive yeah. after a uh, slow start to start the year. That certainly helps and gives them kind of like a second line or in case they want to load up that top line when they're trailing, like they did in Edmonton, it gives them some options, kind of flexibility offensively, but it's, it's strange because I remember last year after they hired Jeremy Calden, uh, he kind of got a free pass because it was like pretty big shoes to fill considering who he was taking over for and he was hired mid-season, implementing new systems and, you know, rookie coach. It was Everyone was like, let's give him a full offseason, full training camp. I don't and, know if Blackhawks fans are willing to give him that, but yes, I think most people that looked at it said you got to give him some leash right, here. Right, exactly. And then, you know, I think Stan Bowman certainly did his best to try and kind of throw him a bone in terms of like went out and acquired Calvin DeHaan, Olimata guys who would conceivably shore things up defensively in their own zone. Um, but the numbers are pretty much exact, like identical. They're like, 
the league rank is the same, and I think they're bottom two or three in basically every single shot, chance, expected goal metric defensively yeah. at five on five and all situations. Um, they're like the actual raw numbers themselves are slightly better. I'm not sure how much of that is just like the, the difference, difference this year is goaltending. Yeah. Yeah. They have the best, maybe the best goaltending duo in the league, you know, up there with, you know, Ronta and Kemper and a couple other ones. But, you know, Robin Leonard has made such a difference for this team. Is that a Cam Ward going out there for your right. games or Jeff Glass yeah. or JF Barube or Anton Forsberg? You have a Vezina finalist yep. playing out of his mind. You know, he's come down to earth a little bit recently these last few weeks, but it's just extraordinary goaltending for mm-hmm. the first half of the season. And Crawford is looking like his old self right. now. And that's why, you know, when I I keep trying to talk myself into them, like maybe they can do this. Because you look at all the teams in this middling mess of the West and this so much mediocrity, like nobody's really good or scary. And then you look at the, the goaltending the Blackhawks have. And you think, well, their floor has to be a little bit higher than everybody else. Like, like they're not going to completely bottom out because of the goaltending. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, when you're giving up 36 shots a game, um, eye test wise, they look a little better lately since they've been turning it around since right. you know about mid December. Um, and, and a lot of the analytics are a little better now. Yeah. Um, you know, shots are shots; they're going to give up a ton of shots. Um, yeah, I mean, Calvin DeHaan's out for the season, and you know, Andrew Shaw is out for the season. Probably they're they're missing a lot of key pieces. Brent Seabrook. Whether that's good or bad is out for the <laughs> yeah, season. Right. The fact is, they got Adam Boquist, who's yes. 19 years old, playing 22 minutes a night on the top pairing with Duncan Keith. You got Eric Gustafson having to play a huge role. You've got uh, Slater Cuckoo, who should be the number seven, and he's in the third pairing playing every night. Uh, they had Dennis Gilbert out there for a long time uh, playing. You know, Nick Sealer, they're picking up off waivers. I mean, they're. They don't have – this isn't the 2013-2015 Blackhawks. We had a second pair of Oduya Jalmerson and, you know, had just this incredible depth. Yeah, it's a strange mix because, you know, you, you can make the argument that Kane and Taze are still sort of on the, like, the latter legs of that prime where – especially if they had more They're help, still really good, yeah. yeah like, yeah. On, you, on certain nights, you see it and you're like, okay, like, they can still carry this team. But I remember, like, I think it was Vegas's first year. I think Justin Bourne wrote this piece about how – uh, one of the sneaky things they did is basically they targeted everyone like in their mid to late 20s in that like physical prime and mm-hmm. everyone was kind of firing on all cylinders and right. that's what, what made them so special. And when you look at this team, it's kind of the exact opposite where they have all these guys that are kids and old guys on their last <laughs> legs and then all these guys who are probably being asked to do too much too soon. Yeah, it's, got, it's funny, like I walk into the room and I look at Brandon Sod and Brandon Sod like 26, 27 yeah. years old. I'm like, who does he hang out with? Yeah. Like everyone's either five years There's older than him or five years younger than him. Way, you know? yeah. He's just like this lost guy in, 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 his, in his physical prime on a team that's full of aging veterans and teenagers yeah yeah him and eric gustafson are just like hanging <laughs> right, out in exactly. the background by themselves <laughs> yeah well i guess it's it leads to sort of like philosophical theoretical question i'm not sure where you stand on this in terms of like when a team's this bad or their metrics are this bad defensively certainly personnel plays a part in it and we're talking about how you know thrusting a guy like adam boquist into basically the heat of the battle on the top pair uh they're clearly at this point we can argue about how much Duncan Keith has left, but I think we'd both agree that they're probably asking him to do too much at this point. He's of his career. 26 20, minutes yeah. a night at age 37. It's, it's yeah. ridiculous. And, you know, he, you can talk about his fitness all you want, and it's certainly a marvel. But I think if they toned it down and had someone who could reliably take those minutes, they'd love right. to do so. Yeah, he's still a top four defenseman yeah. in the NHL. Easily. Just maybe still, not like number still one. A borderline, <laughs> no, a borderline top pairing guy, but he should not be your number one playing 26, 27 minutes a night. But And so I guess that's like... You can kind of make that excuse, but at the same time, I, I look around the league and there's certain coaches and their systems that make me think like, if you brought in a Barry Trotz, and I certainly like, you can argue he should win the Jack Adams every year right. based on his effect on his teams or what John Tortorella is doing this year defensively with that Columbus team. Like, they don't have a Seth Jones type, but with some of these best defensive teams, I look at them and there's no particular reason to believe that they have this special sauce of talent that the Blackhawks can't replicate. I, I do think some of it certainly has to be put on the coach and the defensive system. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at Barry Trotz. He's the perfect example. Yeah. The year before he got to the Islanders, they were the Blackhawks. Yeah. They were giving up 36, were, 37 yeah. shots a night, and basically the same personnel. He comes in and he changes it. Yep. But there's only a few coaches in the league that do that. I was talking with Robin Leonard the other day in, uh, in Winnipeg, and we were just talking about goaltending philosophy in general, and he's saying, look, look, this is an offensive league now. Nobody plays defense anymore. You know, who are the defensemen that get the big contracts? It's the guys who play offense. Yeah, put up the you points, know, yeah. It, it's all about moving the puck, and you know, goaltenders have to accept the fact that they're going to see 35, 37 shots a, lo- a night a lot of the time because that's the way the game is going. It's all about attacking. It's not about sitting back. And he said, he said, there's a few teams that don't do that. But for the most part, this is the way the league is trending. It's towards just outscore the opponent, which as a, as a, as a viewer of the game is more fun. The Blackhawks are always in the fun quadrant of Sean Tierney's yes. charts, you know. Um, but it's, 
it's interesting because at the start of the season, you know, we talked all off season about well, now Jeremy Colton will finally get to implement his system, this mythical you know man zone hybrid system that we've been waiting to see, right. uh, and he'll have a full training camp. He didn't have that last year. That that was his big. That wasn't his. He wasn't using it, but that was our excuse or how you would explain why they were so bad defensively. They didn't have enough practices during the season. Yep. You bring a guy in mid season, completely change the way they play from Joel Quenville. So they had the training camp and had all the preseason games, and they were horrendous defensively in October, and they were. Uh, they were playing like four men low. Like they were, they were actively trying to be more defensive, and they were still giving up forty shots a night. So in like late October, early November, you know, Collins said the hell with it, and he he, he let that that second winger kind of go back up high and and try to you know because the problem was they were getting hemmed in their own zone because they couldn't they couldn't get out of the zone. Mm. They couldn't move the puck in transition. So he freed them up to do that. He let the you know three low and two high, and all of a sudden they started winning. They they were they were, they were very effective in November. They had a big winning streak. They were scoring at, at will. And that's the way they've been playing ever since. This still isn't the Jeremy Colleton system we've all been, you know, waiting to see. Like, they clearly can't pull off the man. The, this is not a team that can play man-to-man. Yeah. They don't have the speed. So there has to be some element of zone in there. It, it's it's just kind of a mess right now where they don't really have any defensive structure, any just defensive identity. Um, they're missing key players. And you, I, I don't know what you can reasonably expect out of this blue line, but you're getting what is probably reasonable to expect. Yeah. Well, it felt like last year was much more sort of like off the rush they were going to be. And this year, it's a lot of, and maybe it is part of that sort of man scheme. It's just like a lot of freelancing, it feels like. A lot oh, yeah. of like just broken plays. I mean, oh, yeah. the game against Edmonton last night, like it just, this guy's just not where they're supposed to be, always chasing the puck. I wish hockey were always like that. It's yeah. more fun. That was a fun game. It's 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 really fun to watch. I think as a coach, I'd probably be pulling my hair no, out. No, absolutely. Like, yeah, like, this isn't what Jeremy calls. This isn't wants. what we practiced. This isn't what he expected to look like when he came in. This isn't what he was brought in to do. Yeah. I mean, Joel Quenville was a defensive-minded coach uh, in theory. Right. You know, he always thought that, you know, the offense so comes So defensively-minded that he was playing two defensemen on his fourth line last night. <laughs> it's right. I can't believe that happened. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know, he got fired uh, the in, after that game in Calgary last year where he left a guy in the uh, didn't put a guy in the box on a major penalty and it wound up being like a seven minute power play. Yeah, even the greats are prone to brain farts, I guess. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's you know the, the, Quenville allowed the offensive players to freelance. Like that's what made Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze and Marion Hosa, Patrick Sharp so great. But the, you know guys like that were also other than Kane were terrific two way players too. So they were responsible in their own end. They don't have a lot of that now. They've got Taves and Sod. They don't have a Patrick Sharp who could score 35 goals and be great in his own end. They don't have guys like that right now. Well, and that leads me to this like philosophical sort of divide where it seems like, and maybe they've sort of identified this as like a mark. Teams are going so far away from it that they feel like they can get value, and that's why they trade for an Alex Nylander. That's why they trade for a Dylan Strome. Nobody but can explain the Alex you Nylander look at, You look at the foot speed, and it's like... Forget defensively, forget all, just like in today's game, it's such a clash and, and, and you see it and I think they want to play fast, they want to move the puck, they yeah. want to be run and gun, but they don't really have the personnel beyond a couple guys, you know, part of it is they don't have the puck movers to get those guys the puck in space, but part of it is also they don't have the personnel or the horses to go back, get the puck and take carry it themselves right yeah it, it's just they, they don't they don't have they don't have the personnel that's what it comes down to is this this team is there a coaching issue probably there's probably some of that there's mm-hmm. growing pains with any new coach but this is a personnel team issue they don't have enough good players yeah they have two really good lines they got a great top six Dominic Kubalik was a great find he's a big reason why they started turning things around when he finally got uh, moved to the top line which should have happened a lot earlier um and he really kick-started Taves you got you know uh Kubalik, Taves, Kajula. Kajula is a really nice piece up there. He does everything that you need him to do in that spot. And then you got Saad, Doc, and Kane, or you put Debrinkit and Strom up there. I mean, they've got some really good offensive talent, like high-end guys. What they don't have is those middle guys. They've got really high-end guys and then a whole bunch of fourth-liners slash AHL guys. You know, Ryan Carpenter's a really nice player. Like, he's been a good find for them. But he shouldn't be playing, you know, he shouldn't be centering Patrick Kane, which he did for like a month. Yeah, there's a lot of David Kemp. Yeah, David Camp, man, oh man, the freaking Blackhawks love them some David Camp. Like, he's a perfectly fine player. Jeremy Colleton, I think he has like a shrine to David Camp yeah. at home. He loves him some David Camp. And he's a perfectly fine, like, like he's a Marcus Kruger type player with a little bit more offense, but, you know, he's not going to be this 20 goal scorer they envision. He's like this analytics darling. Mm. And, and, you know, I know Barry Smith, who was the player, director of player development, loved him. And he was on uh, Colleton's staff last year. Colleton loves him. His teammates love him. He's a good, he's a fine little player, but he's being put in roles he shouldn't be put in. He should be the fourth line center the way that Marcus Kruger was. Yeah. Well, I guess that's what, and you hit on this earlier, the tantalizing thing is what I look at, because 
most teams are imperfect, right? Like I think you look at a sure. team like maybe Tampa Bay this year where when they're healthy, it's like there's very few flaws in that roster. But for the most part, you have to kind of pick. Yeah, I used to cover and, teams like that. Yeah, you did. You did. So I think, <laughs> yeah, you can speak to this very well. But um, with this Blackhawks team, like they have the goaltender. I guess that is what kind of the tantalizing part where it's like. Yeah. If they could just put it together. The issue is they're missing one other piece. Like you, if you look at it and with the players they have, you think they should be better on the power play, but I believe they're like bottom oh, it's three all, they're like 29th, I think, in the yeah. power play. Like three for the last 46, I think it is. Yeah. Something awful like that. No, the power play is an absolute disaster. Zach Smith was on the power play, top top power play unit yesterday. And I, I applauded. I actually suggested that. And we, me and uh, I did a podcast the night before. I said, put all the penalty killing guys on the power play. Shake it up. Like send some kind of message because the power play is just horrendous. They all just feed it to Patrick Kane, stand around and wait for him to do something. Right. And yeah, so that, teams that, are on to them. Yeah, oh, <laughs> innovative strategy. Well, I, I guess, I mean, yeah. So there's the power plays one thing. I think the goaltending. Like, let's stick on that for a second. I've talked about Rob Leonard a bunch on the, on this show this year, but I can't stop marveling at the fact that he basically he did go from like the best, most goalie friendly defensive environment in the league to arguably the worst. Like, and he'll tell you that the Bucks are right up there. Yeah, he, well, I mean, yeah, he should he should represent himself as as his own agent, but he's um. They're right there with like the Jets and I think the Rangers and pretty much like every they're just bleeding. Yeah. And he is holding them up there, Crawford as well. And that's why I'm fascinated to see sort of how they view themselves. I think you know, you wrote recently, or I think yesterday, uh, after the game about how they're making it a lot easier on Stan Bowman to sort of pull the plug on the season and maybe kind of right. look ahead if, if they keep losing like this because they're gonna fall out of the race. But I think regardless, even if they were right there like i just don't see how you can justify going for it with this roster unless you really do believe that they're just getting a playoff series and robin leonard's playing so well, well that's right now the that thing Gold, goaltending is that great equalizer where you start to think well we got patrick kane and great goaltending let's just get in and see what happens i understand that appeal and again you have to factor in the fact that blackhawks haven't made the playoffs the last two seasons they haven't won a playoff series in the last four seasons like you've got you're you are squandering years of the primes of taves and kane here uh there's an urgency that you know, Stan Bowman, I don't think his job is in jeopardy. I think it might have been last year. I think it was basically Quenville or Bowman at that point. Um, and I don't know as a GM if you can if you play the long game, if you think your job's in jeopardy. Maybe you start thinking, well, I gotta get us in this year. I mean, we we've seen GMs do that all the time where they, they're they're not thinking four years down the road anymore because they're not gonna be here four years down the road if they do that. So I think that, you know, when they still got games in hand. They're still, I mean, if they win, if they beat Vancouver and then go and beat Calgary and then go finish in Winnipeg, they're they're right there. Yeah. Nobody in the West is scaring anybody. Should they be buyers? No, they shouldn't. They should not be giving up any futures. But everything I heard was that Stan was, was leaning towards standing pat, saying like, all right, I'm going to let these guys make a run at it. Because I don't think you're going to get a first round pick for Eric Gustafson. He's having a down year. Yep. Um, I don't think it, most teams don't want to trade for goaltending. You never see goalies moved at the deadline. It rarely happens because it takes too long to adjust to a new team as a goalie. It's way harder to adjust as a goalie than as a defenseman. Or I think forward. these goalies can adjust to any other team because they'll be only a step up. So. Well, well, maybe. Yeah. I mean, Leonard's, Leonard's on all over the place, but Crawford's yeah. never played for another organization right. in his life. Do you yeah. I mean, he is an, he's a phenomenal world-class goalie who's won two Stanley Cups and probably should have a con Smythe to his credit. But do you want to just throw him into a new system and just assume he's going to carry you in? Most teams are, are very – look, at if San Jose didn't go out and get a goalie last year, who's ever going to go get a goalie? So unless you're going to get some premium value for these guys, and the Hawks don't have a second-round pick next year because of the Andrew Shaw trade, they'd love to get that back. But are you going to give up one of these guys for a second-round pick? Yeah. If you think you have a chance at a playoff spot? I don't think you do that. I think, I think the Blackhawks want to stand pat. But if they just flame out completely on this five-game trip, they're going to have to start aggressively marketing, you know, uh, Gustafson, maybe a Kajula, um, who would be a he's, – he's the kind of piece that does get moved at the deadline, a good kind of versatile up-and-down-the-lineup player, um, or one of the goalies, yeah. You, and you keep hearing talk about, well, they'll trade Leonard and then he'll re-sign in the offseason, but we, that never happens. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, that'd be a crider. But, yeah, we don't see that. I mean, we kind of – he. Bowman kind of boxed himself in here, though, right? Because, like, this summer... This it, is a mess of his own making. It was very telling how, what... Or maybe that desperation you talk about, more so than him liking this group. Maybe it was, like, try, job preservation, but where you give up three picks. I know one of them was a seventh or whatever, but a second and a third for Andrew Shaw. You give up another pick in Dominic Cahoon for Olimata. Like, you trade whatever. Not uh, great futures, but you trade for Calvin Hahn and take on a salary. Clearly, like, there was a lot of let's win now approach to all Well, it, it was... <laughs> 
all of those moves on the surface made some sense. I mean, they made the Cahoon for Mata trade. I was surprised, but they needed, they God, they needed some some kind of stability, uh, stabilizing force on the back end. I like Cahoon a lot. He's a he's, he's that versatile guy. He's a fifteen twenty goal scorer type. Yep. Um, so that was a big ask that they gave up, and then but then they went out and traded for Dahan, and they gave up like nothing for him. They gave mm-hmm. up Anton yeah, just, Forsberg just and Gustav Forsling. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, well, if you're going to do that, you shouldn't have made the Mata trade. Like, I, I, and I think that if he knew he was going to get Dahan, he wouldn't have traded for Mata. Um, who's got a couple years left on that deal at four four million a year or something like that? So, and then you know, Shaw on the surface makes great sense. He's a depth scorer. He knows that he's a, he's a beloved fan favorite in Chicago. Again, another guy who can play up and down the lineup. He's played on Jonathan Taves' wing. He centered Patrick Kane and Brandon Saad to great success. But Dahan and Shaw. You knew they weren't going to play 82 games. They never get to play 82 games. They're injury risks. Yeah. You know, Shaw's coming off all those concussions and the style of game he plays. You had to foresee this coming as a, as a really real possibility. And Dahan, it sucks because Dahan was just really coming into it because Keith was out when, when Dahan got hurt and Dahan was playing great. Like he had really figured things out in Chicago and he was looking like a number one defenseman and everything that they wanted him to be. And it's such a bummer that he blew out his shoulder because this team looks a lot different if you've got Dahan and Keith. You know, and 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 Boquist has been playing perfectly well, and Connor Murphy, who's really turned into a very good defenseman. Uh, you all you you'd, you'd have a real top four then. Then you could have Gustafson in that third pairing role, where he's more of a power play specialist, playing fewer minutes, but you know, protecting him and sheltering him. This defense didn't have to look this bad. All the moves Stan Bowman made, you could envision them working out, but they were all risky moves because of the injury risks involved, and all of them came through. Well, and they were all moves that signaled that he wanted like. They didn't want to take a step back this season. They wanted right. to get back in the Right, yeah. The, 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 the Blackhawks don't do rebuilding. And that's part of the problem is they can't. Yeah. Every time the Blackhawks lose, I'm bombarded with comments on stories and people on Twitter telling me they got to blow it up. They got to blow it. Tear it down. Sell, get rid of everybody. You can't. Taves, no movement contract. Yeah. Kane, no movement contract. Seabrook, no movement contract. Keith, no movement contract. Crawford, no movement. What, what are you going to do with these guys? Like, what do, you, what do you think you can do? You can't tear it down. A huge chunk of this team and its salary cap, uh, you know, uh, um, responsibilities yep. are locked in. You can only try to do what the Bruins did, which is retool on the fly. The problem is they haven't found enough David Pasternak's out there and Charlie McAvoy's. Right. You know, they had one in Yoki Haru. I don't know why the hell they traded him. And then, you know, you look at Kubalik. That's a great addition. Boquist, he's coming through, but he's not. The problem is you got this really good young group of players coming up. And they are very good. Like, they could be stars. Kirby Doc, I'm sold. He's going to be a great player. Mm. But by the time they're really coming into their own... The other core is going to be on the decline. The The windows are not lining up here. But they did have those guys, and that's why I don't want to let Stan Bowman off the hook. Part of no, it you was, shouldn't. Was, this is a mess of his own making. I mean, whether it's, you know, the money they gave Bickle, and then obviously what happened with, with, with his Tavo, money, yeah. It, it is you know, a shame, but that was you could tell that was going to be a bad move as soon as they signed that contract, then they have to move to If you watched that 2013 playoffs, I'm not so sure that you would have been so sure that that was a bad move. He was great. They won a cup yeah, because but those, of him. Yeah, those player types and that frame and that short of a sample size, that never works out. Those guys, like... It's funny because we're talking about a four-year, $4 million contract. Like, third liners get that money now. I mean, it's like nothing now. Yeah. They, the, the problem is, the problem with that wasn't the contract. The problem was they gave up Tavo Teravainen to get out from one year of that contract. Right. That's incredibly short-sighted. Yes. You could add Tavo Teravainen... He was on a very reasonable contract in Carolina and is a terrific player that everybody knew he was going to be. You give him up to get rid of one year of a $4 million contract. That's atrocious. You right. traded Phil Deneau for Dale Weiss and that's, Tomas Fleischman, the worst trade Stan Bowman's ever made. And I think they gave up a second-round pick. I remember. I was, I, yeah, I was, I was in my basement. Yeah, I gave up Phil Deneau and a second-round yeah. pick. I was in my basement watching Kung Fu Panda with my kid when that trade came across. And I immediately was like, are you kidding me? That's the worst trade I've ever seen. Yeah. And if, you know, Phil Deneau's a, a legitimate number one or number two center in, in, in the NHL. Selkie, he's a, he's a guy who I think I had him on my Selkie ballot yeah. last year. Yeah, they could use a guy like that right now. Yeah, you think? Um <laughs> Somehow also lost. Uh, I don't mean to keep Look, going over this. They, they've made a lot of bad history. moves, and yeah. they've made a lot of good moves over the years. Yes. And right now, the bad moves, you're paying for the bad moves. But, I mean, I don't know how you can really sit there and, and, and harangue the guy, because a lot of these moves were we-have-to-win-now moves. Right. And they were doing it, and they were winning now. They won three cups in six years. What fan base, what GM wouldn't give his left arm to have a run of success like that? Eventually, the bill comes due. 
Yeah, I think would, the, the would, thing- would you say, well, if we could have Tavo Teravine and Phil Denoback, but we have to give up two of those cups, are you going to do that? No. <laughs> well, I don't think those things are mutually They're exclusive. Not. You could have those cups but I'm and saying still those the, guys. The, the mindset, yeah. if I'm a hockey fan, right. I want a GM that's going to go for it when we have a chance. You yeah. know, we always talk about how GMs in the NHL are so timid. Stan Bowman was never timid at the trade deadline when his team was a, was a contender. And no, he did not hit on all of them. Yeah. But Antoine Vermette, that was worth the first round pick. They won a Stanley yeah. Cup because of that move. Sometimes you just got to go for it. And they, in the years that they went for for it, it was worth going for it, even if it didn't pan out, well, and now you're paying the price. And that's why I think the other 30 fan bases certainly will not be throwing a pity party. Yeah, for nobody's Black feeling bad for the Blackhawks. <laughs> it's, it, I, I love it when other fans chime in when you know we're, the, the, the Blackhawks fans are having these like lamentation sessions online. Yeah. And some Blues fan up, up until last year would be like, yeah, poor you. <laughs> I'd love to see, I don't know if, how much you've hammered this home, how much you've written about it, how much you feel comfortable writing about it, but... Because I think it was pretty clear for even nationally, like behind the scenes, everyone was talking like that power struggle between Bowman. Yeah. Their preferences, how they wanted to go about it. And I think they sort of made a lot of those decisions and made their bed in that summer of 2017 after that embarrassing round one sweep against the Predators where they decide to get ahead of it. They move Panarin out because impending contract and playoff perceived struggles. They moved Jalmers in. And and I think that's something you point back to and you go like, that was a big time, like crossroads moment here. Yeah. I talk about that a lot in that, you know, this was always going to happen. The decline, you're never going to stay on top forever, but the Blackhawks could have kept that window open at least two more years if they didn't overreact to that predator sweep. Yeah. I mean, you had, uh, they won 50 games that year. They won the division, I think. Right? They, they won the they won the top seed in the Western Conference. Yeah, that's, right. they, that, that's what made it so shocking. They lost to the eight seed, but the Predators went on to the Stanley Cup right. final. They that were year. pretty good. Team that right. was the beginning of their being really good. So, like in hindsight, well, yeah, that team was really good, and it was the Hawks' offense just disappeared for a week. Yeah, and offense has never been the Blackhawks' problem. They overreacted so badly to that, and and that win that was a 50 win team that Corey Crawford was holding up was and then that Panarin, Kane, and Isamov line. It was a little bit of smoke and mirrors, and Kane even said as much after the season that maybe we weren't as good. As the record suggested, mm. but that was still a really good team. Yeah. That was a contending team, and they went and and they blew it up as a just a ridiculous overreaction to one really bad week. It was a badly timed game. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was one week, yeah. and it, the, the offense just vanished. They, they they didn't they scored like one goal in three games. Yeah. I mean, it was a disaster. But it was one really bad week in a fluky ass game where dumb things happen all the time. It's hockey. Yeah. And if they had kept Panarin, even if they were going to lose Panarin eventually after that, the, they weren't going to give him thirteen million dollars. So, but they would have had him for two more years. He would have had Kane playing at that level that he played with with Panarin, his hockey soulmate. Do you think internally they were on the skeptical about? How good Panarin really was, or like they no, never publicly admit that. But I, I mean, when you make so. that type of a trade, I think there is there was a bit there of, was this belief among some the fan base felt this way, and there were definitely some people in the organization that told me this. They were dumb for thinking it, but that Panarin wasn't a playoff type performer, right? But he had, I mean, in his first playoff series, he had seven points in seven games against the Blues in in a, a first round. The Hawks could have won the Cup in 2016. That was a good enough yep. team. That was just a great series. They lost by one goal, um, and then everybody shat the bed in the the Predator series. Yep. So, I mean, to put it on, I mean, it was just, and, 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 and it made Kane mad. I mean, that was his guy. Like, he was, he was making Kane the player he always dreamed he could be. Having a guy that fought the game in that same ridiculously creative way he did. You could have had two more years of that. You could have had Jomerson, Joel Quenville's favorite player. Quenville stormed out of a pre-draft meeting yeah, when he found that, out yeah. Jomerson was traded. He was so mad. They fired Mike Kitchen. I mean, it was the opening, you know, the, that war between Stan and Joel had been simmering since 2012. When Bowman uh, uh, added Barry Smith to the, basically had him go out to practice to work on the power play against Joel's wishes. Mm. Like Joel didn't want it, and he did it anyway. But winning cups heals everything. But then once the cup stopped coming, right? Um, then you know, firing Mike Kitchen, who's Joel Quenville's best friend, is the reason he's on his staff in Florida now too, was the shot over the bow. Trading Jomerson and Panera within twenty minutes of each other is two favorite players. Yeah, I mean, it was it was all downhill from there. The, this this was good. this decline was going to happen eventually, but they could have kept that window open two more years. It, it should have been last year. Should have been the first year of the decline, not the fourth or third. Yeah, well, I think they're an interesting spot as we approach this deadline because. And we don't see teams really ever taking creative, but having moved Dahan and Seabrook to TIR, I think they've opened up like $13 million. Oh, they got money to spend right now, yeah. And, um, you know, there's teams out, they, they could facilitate some very interesting creative trades. I, it might be too exotic for the NHL. It seems standard. like there's a lot of teams this year where we're talking about, oh, you got to weaponize your cap space, got to weaponize your cap space, but I don't... 
I don't know if this is this might be the most boring trade down I've ever seen. I don't know if there's anything to really accomplish. Like, yes, the Blackhawks should absolutely that's what they should be doing is taking on a terrible contract and getting a second round pick out of it. Like doing all the sweeteners that they had to give up over the years. The yep. Tavo Taravinans. Yes. All those kind of moves. Right. The Vinny Hinestroza for uh, to get Marion Hosta's contract off the books. All that stuff. They should be doing it now. It should be kind of a, a nice little twist for them. Uh, I don't know what's out there to to to, to really exploit though. The, the 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 mushy middle of this league is the, this faux parity they have. Who's who's truly selling right now? Who's truly looking to get rid of a contract? I'm not sure you can get a whole lot out of it. But I that's they, what they should be trying. I to I think do. they should take advantage of that. I think it's, the, op, the opportunity presents itself for a team to really just fully embrace taking advantage of that void because there are so many teams that are like, let's wait a couple weeks to see what happens right. here. And we've already seen. I think. Pittsburgh paid a pretty high price for Jason Zucker. I know he had a couple more years on his deal, for example. Um, you know, Jack Campbell, I know that he's also a pretty cheap cost control goalie, but he got what, like good picks and a 24 forward? Like, yeah. those are the types of moves that the Blackhawks should be like frantically, well, not frantically, but aggressively pushing. No, I agree. Contenders. But it depends on but, but what you, are they going to trade Brandon Saad? They shouldn't. Unless they get just their doors blown off by right. somebody, if someone gives you a second round pick for Brandon Saad, who's just been terrific this year, yeah. uh, you're going to give him up to, with another year. Of, I, I, I don't see them doing no. that. It's just I, I'm not sure the, the the pieces they have to offer. Uh, the goaltending is the, is the interesting one because those are legitimate star players, and there's like none other none other ones available available basically. Right, right? Like, but is Eric Gustafson? I don't know. If you've watched Eric Gustafson play, I like watching Eric Gustafson play because he's a high-risk, high-reward player. He's a really good offensive player. Yep. But he's a nightmare in his own end some nights. Is is that the kind of guy you want to add to a playoff push? A guy who's going to you know cause as many goals as he, as he generates? Right. I, I don't know what they have to offer in that way to really entice them. All they can do is take on a bad contract. That's the only way they're going to add a lot of assets, I think. And I'm not sure there's any teams that are really looking to do that right now. Yeah, and, it, and it has to be expiring contracts because Seabrook's yes. going to be back yeah, next yeah. year. Yep. Dehan's going to be back next year. This is temporary cap space they have. So I've I've got one for you. All right, I've been doing a lot on. of thinking Let's about this. I'm going to be writing next week about it, so I'm going to spoil it. But I'm going to I'm going to go back to the well. Vegas really tied up against the cap. Basically, yeah. have no flexibility right now. They've got Econ on an expiring three point eight five. He's a guy. I don't think Vegas would have too much getting him out of there. Reeves two point seven seven five also expiring. Nick Holden two point two. That's quite a bit of quite a bit of room there with guys who I think Vegas could ultimately do without yeah. to improve their roster. Are they all are they all the coming goal up UFAs? Yeah, they all UFAs. All three of those guys. Their goaltending has been very suspect. I know they love Marc Andre Fleury. I think some healthy competition certainly does not hurt, especially given that Fleury late thirties. Um, take your pick of Crawford or Leonard, and both those guys, their cap hits are high enough where it makes sense for Chicago to be selling Vegas in like. We'll take back one of these bad contracts that are expiring. We'll give you a goalie, so we'll give you a net positive. Give us some. Give us a make it worth a while. Yeah. yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, I believe I, I'd have to check this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure Crawford still has a full no movement yeah. this year, or it might be a ten team no right. trade. I don't know if if he would. Uh, he wants to stay in Chicago. He's been his whole career in Chicago. Um, if he would be okay going to a team where he's probably not going to get the number one job in the playoffs, right? Because, like you said, they love Flurry. Uh, I'm not sure that it would be he, interesting. He's been, Crawford's been good this year. Like he's not hasn't been, Leonard's kind of stolen a bit. Oh, of the Crawford's shine been his numbers Craw- are Crawford's been significantly better than Leonard this, yeah, during really, this yeah. little hot streak here. He's kind of taken the net back. Right, like Leonard's back to being one B, and Crawford's been one mm-hmm. A. Leonard's kind of come down to earth a little bit. Crawford's been great, uh, and he's you know he's 34, 35. He's got you know in goalie years he's got a couple of good years left in him. Um, you know we all thought he was going to retire after those concussions that right. knocked him out for like a year and a half, but he's right back to his old self now. Um, yeah, if I'm if I'm a, if I'm a contending team and I don't like my goaltending situation, I am knocking down Stan Bowman's door. Um, it's just it's so hard to say. I mean, two years ago the Blackhawks got a first round pick for Ryan Hartman. They got a first round pick and like a, and another, a, a, at yeah. the time a high end prospect yep. who didn't pan out, right. Victor Edsel. I remember that. Yeah, but. A first round pick for Ryan Hartman, yeah. And now you know you're looking at maybe you can get a second rounder for Gustafson, <laughs> who's at 60 points last year, or right. Corey Crawford, a two time Stanley Cup goaltending. I'm I'm not sure that there's the value that they that they des- that they that these guys deserve. Yeah. And I think that given the fact that they are not mathematically eliminated even by a long shot, that you know you go on a four game win streak and you're in a playoff spot. 
I'm not sure they're going to be willing to, to move one of these guys because the, one of the reasons they're in this position is because every single night they have a top-tier goalie. It's the opposite of the Toronto problem where right. whenever they put a backup goalie out there, it was a disaster. They don't have that problem. Every single game they have a number one goalie, and they're not going to make the playoffs if they trade one of those guys. Kevin Lankinen or Colin Dealey are not going to do what Robin Leonard or Corey Crawford are doing. So unless they get first-round picks, unless they get high-end prospects, unless they get some player with term that they really like, I don't think they're going to move these guys just for the sake of moving them. Yeah, that's fair. I just think, you know, I mean, it's a lot easier for me from the outside, obviously not being invested, not having an owner to answer to, to be like, this team's not very good. Yeah, the Blackhawks so, Black so, are not okay spinning their wheels. They've exactly. been spinning their wheels for a long time now. I do, I do want to say, though, not necessarily that, that you're making this point or that, or that anyone is, but I do sometimes think, like, people think a bit too um, sort of short-sightedly about these moves at the deadline. I know, like... Uh, I saw this recently where someone was talking about what the the Cavs could get for Ilya Kovalchuk, right? And they have like a treasure chest full of of draft picks, some of which are, are Chicago's <laughs> Chicago, this summer. Yeah. <laughs> and I, someone was like, "Do we need another second round pick? Like, we need players who can play right now." And and I think what people lose sight of is like you can have more picks, and then come the draft, there's players that you are available that you can use. Those you picks move to those get. picks, right? That's, like, it's, it's just, just capital, it's yeah. currency. It's, it's not assets. You don't have to make that pick. And right. so I think sometimes this time of year, I just wanted to say that just for anyone listening. Yeah, I know and, and the fact is, the Blackhawks have five draft picks this coming yes. season. That is not okay. Right. That is not good enough. They got no second rounder, no seventh rounder. Who cares about a seventh rounder? But they've got five picks to work with. They don't have any extra ones to deal. They're missing two, so they have to recoup some of this draft capital. You have to do something to do that. And that's that's the dilemma. Stand Bowman faces these next, what, 11, 12 days, whatever it is, he's got to decide whether making a long shot run at the playoffs, I think 25% is the actual, yeah. is their odds right now to make the playoffs? It was 40% four days ago. They're actually pretty ago. close. It's just that there's like five teams right, that are exactly. just as close. It's yeah. them, Winnipeg, Minnesota. I mean, which of those, do, does, does Winnipeg inspire confidence? Does Minnesota inspire confidence? Well, Win- Winnipeg and Chicago are like that Spider-Man meme. They're just like pointing. Well, yeah, they, they, you. you have exactly. no defense, but you have some high-end talent. What do we do? Good goalie there. Yeah. The same team. Yeah. So I, 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 don't know, I, I don't know how you move forward. You have to decide, is a long shot playoff bid worth more than maybe a second and a third round pick and i mean this is an entertainment business when you yeah. if you start moving these guys at the deadline you are waving that white flag and there are still twenty two thousand people in the united center right they they're still selling out all these years after the, the glory dimes but that's you know there's little pockets of empty seats all of a sudden and on the secondary market those seats are 50 bucks instead of 200 bucks like they were a few years ago eventually that's going to end and i don't know the blackhawks are such a business yeah i don't know if john mcdonough and rocky words are going to be okay with them waving that white flag you, okay we've been killing bowman here so far i want to give him give him credit for something kirby doc two stanley cups he deserves credit for it <laughs> yes yeah, i mean i just mean recently 13 and 15 a, a recent a... move a recent move kirby doc i remember at the draft I was blown away that they passed up on Bowen Byram. And I think at the time, a lot of people were like, they've invested so much. It was either, so it was either much. Turcotte or Byram. Yeah, it was one or the other, yeah. so, and, and I think Turcotte was the local guy, but Byram was like, they've drafted so many defensemen lately. So that was their kind of their logic. And and Doc has stepped in and, and he's really flashed, I think, lately that. He's been the best player of the draft so far. He's, combo, right? Yeah, he's, he's he looks terrific. He went through a 27-game stretch where he didn't have a point, And he looked great the whole time. Yeah. I mean, he's just... He's big. He's strong. He's fast. He's way faster than I thought. He like like I always heard like, the, the knock on him. Well, he's a, he's a pretty good skater. He's a great skater. Oh, he destroyed Jonas Brodin off the rush. Oh my god, he broke his ankles. Yeah. He, Brodin went. He was literally went flying. Like, he was like legitimately like one of like he's like Nicholas Jobbers. Right, yeah. right, exactly. I mean, it was just an incredible move, and he's doing that like almost on the regular now. Ever since they put him on that second line with Sod and Kane, where he's got some real offense to work. He was he was playing with Zach Smith and Ryan Carpenter most of the years. They're kind of easing him in, but he's so confident and poised. He's, he's He's really strong on the puck. He's got a little bit of that Hosa Saad kind of, you know, just try to take this thing for me mentality. Uh, he is going to be a real good player. And, you know, you look at him. You look at Dominic Kubalik. You look at Dominic Cahoon. You go to Artemi Panarin. Like, Stan Bowman and his scouting staff do a terrific job in the draft. They do a phenomenal job, better than anybody does in European scouting. Um, the problem has been the, you know huge contracts they've given to older <laughs> players. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. It, you know, it, every, all, it always comes back to that Brent Sieber contract. The second it came out, you gave eight years? Eight years? It, it, they, 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 you know, you don't want to bang on a guy for, for being loyal to a beloved icon who's the most important guy in that locker room. But at the same time, it was an awful contract. Yeah. I love that there was a no-move clause attached to that as if the contract itself it's wasn't movable, already right? a <laughs> self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I mean, 
that's what I do like. And, and there's going to be growing pains. And so we're kind of speaking out of both sides of our mouth where it's like you want immediate on ice results, but you also want to get that next wave of talent going. And I, I think part of it has been by necessity because I think they haven't had other choice. But whether it's getting focused on the top pair and, and re- regular 20 plus minutes. Which wouldn't have happened if Dahan didn't get hurt. Yeah, whether it's Doc, like they're at least giving these guys an opportunity, which I hate when teams bring up a young guy, heralded prospect, plays on the fourth line with two grinders, doesn't put up points, and then they're like, well, he's not producing. Stan Bowman deserves credit for the drafting and the scouting that they've done. Jeremy Colleton deserves credit for the way he's brought somebody. I don't know why he didn't like Henry Yoki Haru. It's baffling to me why he he was – Joel Quenville was happy playing him 25 minutes a night, and then Colleton comes in and, yeah, send him to World Juniors, then let's trade him. I don't understand that, but he's done a really good job kind of easing Doc in with Boquist. You know, Boquist was supposed to be this defensive nightmare. I heard guys – people in the organization last year that said he might never play in the NHL because he can't play defense – He's like a defensive defenseman right now because that's all he's focusing on. He's not worrying about playing yeah. offense because he's trying to. He's, he's playing solid defense. So Carlton deserves credit. Bowman deserves credit. The timing of all this is just awful because again, it's going to take a couple of years. You got uh, Ian Mitchell's coming in from Denver at the end of this, the college hockey year. He's a a, a very well thought of defensive mm-hmm. prospect. Nick Bodan's another first round pick coming up. Th- there's a lot of hope in the system. The problem is they're going to be coming of age when all the other guys are 39, 40. 35, 36. Yeah. That's the problem. It's just the windows aren't lining up. And it's just – and again, I I hate saying this stuff because it makes me come across as an apologist. <laughs> you won three cups in six years. If this is the price you pay, you pay it every single time. Yeah. It could have been handled better. But the fact is they won three cups right. in six years in the cap era, and it's hard to bitch too much about that. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of I mean, Can you really say that they haven't maximized Kane, Taves, Keith, no, and Seabrook when they won yes. three cups? Yeah. Even if it's three cups in, in 18 years of their careers, did they not maximize them? I don't know. Yeah. They sold a lot of tickets and they won a lot of championships. Yeah. Well, especially what the era before that for this franchise. Right. Where they, they weren't, weren't even broadcast TV. locally. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a nice little change. Is there anything else with this team? I mean, we haven't really talked about the brink at. He's having a tough year. He is. He's on pace for like 18 or 19 yeah, goals right 41 now. 41 last year. Yeah. And, it, and it's, 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 it's five on five play. He's still getting a decent amount of power play looks. But mm. he, it's weird because he's actually shooting at a higher rate than last year. Um, and they're good shots. He's getting good chances. Like again, it's just such a dumb sport. Sometimes, like it's just fluky. Like I remember uh, three years ago, Marion Hosa went through a year like that, and then he was great the next year. And right. Brandon Saad two years ago was like top five in every possession metric and couldn't score. Right. And he was dragging Jonathan Taves down with him because it was the same thing. And then they they both turned it around. And Taves had a career year last year, and it feels like, I mean. Debrinket, he's not a one-dimensional player, but he's a largely like he's 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 a, he's a he phenomenal shooter. Right, he needs to score goals, and he's talking about. I talked the other day. He's talking about like you know I can do other things well if I'm not scoring that I can be helpful. I'm like yeah, but you're a goal scorer. That's what yeah. you you scored 41 goals last year. That's you have to be in the 30s at least every year. Uh, I don't you know this is his third year. His first two years were just almost perfect in every way. This is a hiccup, and it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. He's so far. Mentally, he seems to be handling it well. He's 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 trying to shoot his way out of the slump. He's not getting hesitant. He's not deferring. He's doing what you want him to do. But man, he keeps breaking sticks and hitting posts and you know just all these little fluky things that just hockey is so frustrating for. Yeah, I mean, at five on five, he he shot twelve point seven percent in his rookie year, fifteen point three last year when he scored forty one. A certain number, for double digits where we're in power play, but he was still a lethal five on five score. This year, three point five percent. Yeah, I mean, it's he's it's, like a defensive defenseman shooting from the point. He's not all of a sudden this bad. Yeah. It's just he probably wasn't as amazing as he was last year. He's certainly not as ineffective as he is this year. He's probably a thirty to thirty five goal scorer, and this stuff tends to even out over time. You know what's like the big time untapped angle or story, and maybe it's just impossible because. The players either don't actually want to become that reflective, like in the moment, or they can't articulate their thoughts, or it's a lot of voodoo. But the the scorer who goes through the shooting percentage drought, but like is still getting shots. Like you look at the Brinkett shot chart, same as last. He's year. always in the Ovechkin spot. I mean, he's doing everything he's supposed to the be. The pucks doing. just aren't going in. Yeah. And unless like you know, sometimes you hear after the season, oh, he goes for a wrist surgery or something. But barring that, sometimes the puck just doesn't go in for guys. Right? Yeah. Hits the post, goalies. Forever, reason makes a save, and it can go. Your for, podcast is named for that. It's the PDO, <laughs> the PDO man. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so, for us from the outside, it's like it's so easy for me, especially he's under contract for three more years after this one, I believe, when his contract kicks in, to go. 
Next year, he's gonna, he might not score 41 again, but he'll probably be a 30-goal scorer. Yeah, he'll be That's worth the 6.3 million, whatever yeah. it is. But in the moment, especially for the player, like, it's well, so think, difficult it's to weird. think like, that I, way. I don't, know, like, like, it's, I don't know if it's harder from the inside or the outside. Like, if you're on the outside, you see his numbers. Oh, Dabrinkit just sucks this year. Right. But then you watch, you know, I'll watch him and be like, man, he keeps, he keeps shooting and it's not going in. So I see that part of it. But at the same time, I'm seeing him every night not produce when they need him desperately. All these yep. one-goal games they're losing. And yeah, he had an awful night in Winnipeg. He had two just horrible turnovers that on the power play led directly. One to a shorthanded goal that changed yep. the game and one to a shorthanded chance. He's had some bad games. And I was surprised they, that Colleton healthy scratch Dylan Strom last night in Edmonton, I thought Dabrinkit was going to get a scratch. Like, if anyone deserved it, like, if you're going to try to light a fire under the guy, that's what you do. You know, this was the time to do it with the Dabrinkit, but it's hard to scratch your, your arguably your most lethal shooter. Yeah, well, they need the goals, and, and they just need the bet on regression happening right. this season as opposed to next year. Yeah, like, but, it's going to happen eventually. It, just that, that's what Colin said. He said he's the kind of guy that can score 10 goals in two weeks yeah. all of a sudden. You know, he could have that, maybe not that Ovechkin level, but he can do that. He scores hat-tricks. He's, this isn't a guy who scores... Every night he scores hat tricks. He scores in bunches. Yeah, he's always been that way. He's like, as as even even go back to his his Erie Otters days. I mean, he was a streaky scorer. When he scores, he scores a lot. But he just hasn't been able to find any kind of groove this year at all. Yeah, I think every every the most misused thing is calling goal scorers streak. It's right. like literally everyone not named Alex Ovechkin <laughs> is a streaky goal scorer. Like he's the only guy who consistently scores. And it's it's tough because for me, it's like I feel very good about the Brinkat still being that player and i think he could not change anything and just start scoring right but if you're calling and you're considering way all these options count on that. Get, exactly that's like, the thing. and that's like the fan base after that winnipeg game was yeah. just oh my god right. like the comments on my story just tearing him a new one like he's like the worst player and trade him and you know send him to rockford all this like, it's like <laughs> and, and, and it sucks because like you know you, you can't always respond to passion with impassion yes but the answer is yeah He'll be fine. Right. It's gonna. It'll turn around. This just happens. It's mathematically impossible for him to continue at a three point six shooting percentage for the rest of his career. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. He. Yeah. I think that's that's. that's but nobody that's wants to hear it. that. Nobody wants no, to be told. It's, it's very just, unsatisfying. You know, sometimes yeah. the puck doesn't go in. God, Jonathan Taze. If I had a dollar for every time Jonathan Taze just said. I just need to see one go in yeah. during a slump. Oh, he's had a t- he's had a tough couple of games in terms of calls yeah, going on. Right, <laughs> and, and he's and he's been on on a great run. Since yes, he had that horrible start to the year where the puck wouldn't go in for right. him, and then the puck started going in for him, and now the puck's not going in for him again. Yeah, it, that's hockey, man. It's a dumb sport. Yeah, it's a dumb sport, and we try to quantify it, and it's impossible to quantify because it's just it so often doesn't make any sense. No. That's what that's what I love about it. <laughs> well, we need to, we need to quantify it because that's my job. <laughs> well, I understand that, but you can never get your arms fully around. No, of course, a and that's what makes it dynamic. fun. I think if you right. fully could put a number to everything, like, we're going to get all these like player tracking numbers, and yeah. it's going to be amazing, and it's going to revolutionize everything, and it's still going to not explain anything. Yeah, it's still when it comes down to it, you know, the puck t- rolled up on his stick a little bit as he was hitting the one timer, and that made it. It's just such a dynamic, fluky sport that will never fully be able to explain why Alex Dabrinkit is shooting at 3.5% at 5-on-5. But, see, I actually am... Not that we're going to get immediate answer or anything, or, like, always, Oh, but it's going to be years before we figure out how to be, use this numbers. Of course. But it'd be interesting to, like... Because it is kind of lazy analysis when you look at Dabrinkit's shooting percentages. Part of it is randomness. Part of it might be the passes part of it might be defensive attention he's, guys he's not playing with patrick kane as much as he used to he's not playing with dylan strome there's as a much lot of things going to, yeah. on and, and so sometimes on the one hand it's it's very dissatisfying to say shooting percentage on the other hand in the grand scheme of things that is what it is but yeah. like in terms of the descriptive parts of like why it's happening i think yeah, yeah i mean it, it'll it'll lead us in the right direction but when it comes down to it you know sometimes it's just not going in for no. you <laughs> um all right is there anything else with this team we, is that i don't know i think we touched on a lot all right, well let's uh, let's get out of here. You got a you got a busy night. You're gonna go attend the another hockey game. There's a lot of hockey ceremony. games during hockey season, isn't there? There is, yeah, 82 of them. <laughs> There's been a lot of injuries, um, and I saw. I think it was I think it was Pierre LeBron uh, tweeting about this today. But it seems like there's been a slidney. Part of it could just be kind of a, a collection of unrelated injuries. But mm. since the extended break and a lot of these bye weeks and teams are playing a ton of games now in this stretch of the season for whatever reason there has i mean cadre got that's jones jones so Connor mcdavid right now Connor mcdavid and then obviously i think completely underrated but you know best wishes go out to sure, yeah. his very frightening incident last 
time. But yeah, there's there's a lot going on. It's uh it's that time of the season, but it's exciting. And you know, we talked a lot about this trade deadline here and or to it and hopefully and we'll be disappointed in like we are every year. Yeah, it's gonna be like Brendan Dillon for we a always third. Have a trade board. Here's thirty guys that get moved and like three of them get moved and a bunch of scrubs get moved. Yeah. Um all right, we'll plug some stuff. What uh what are you working on? Where can people check? Uh, check me out at The Athletic, um, along with just about every other hockey writer on the planet, it seems. Um, I've got, I'm actually, I, I, I'll have a story up later this week on Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford and how they play such wildly different styles to get basically the same results. This is a blast, man. I'm glad we got to finally yeah, do this. Yeah, it's Hopefully do it again. Absolutely. And that puts a bow on this week's episodes of the Hockey PDO cast. There was three of them in total. If you are still listening, you're a champion. Thank you for doing so. Um... If you haven't listened to the stuff we've already put out yet, go back and listen to the episode we did with Chris Mason, where we deep dive the National Predators, and the episode with Ufe Bodin and Jonathan Lindquist, where we talk about the effect the Sedins had on the Canucks, the NHL, Sweden, uh, the sport as a whole, and all of that stuff as we celebrate them during this Sedin week when their jerseys are being retired by the Vancouver Canucks. While I still have you, uh, if you've enjoyed this week's episodes of the PDO cast or past episodes, please consider taking a minute to go and share the love on iTunes by leaving us a five-star review and a positive rate, uh, rating. That goes a long way. And I really appreciate it, especially the ones that have a nice little personal touch and, and have some sort of an inside joke from the podcast. I always get a good chuckle listening to those. Um, the other thing is... You can also go and if you Google the Canadian Podcasting Awards, Hockey um, Cast has been nominated as an outstanding um, sports podcast. So if you go and, and vote for us there as the outstanding sports series, uh, we're right up there with the Steve Dangle podcast and 31 Thoughts and a few others. That would go a long way. I think voting is open until February 18th and each one counts. And it's just an honor to be uh, on the list with all those great podcasts, but it'd be cool to, uh, to take it home and have some bragging rights on them as well. So anyways, I really appreciate you taking a couple minutes out of your time to go and spread the love and, and let the world know that you've enjoyed the hockey PDO cast and we'll be back next week. There's a lot of good stuff on the horizon. I'm looking forward to previewing the trade deadline. And then obviously after the dust settles on it, uh, analyzing each deal in excruciating detail. And hopefully we, we have some fun stuff to talk about. So I'm looking forward to that. Thanks for listening. And we'll roll the outro music and get out of here. Peace. The hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.